0: The sky's not blue. Yeah. Welcome back to the Cult House podcast. I am your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. If you like what I'm doing, don't forget to like this video, subscribe to the channel, and hit that notification bell. Joining me today, he is a comic artist whose work includes Terror War, Dragon, Elvira, Vampirella, Red Sonia, and he is the winner of one year of Jet's Pizza, Dave Acosta. How are you doing today, Dave?
1: Hey, I'm very good. How
0: are you? Pretty good. How was that a uh, year of pizza?
1: Uh, it was great. I kind of feel bad because like I'm such a Jets pizza fanatic that I was just going to, I was going to buy the pizza anyway, <laughs> So it was so winning the contest. I just felt like I was taking it away from somebody else. Cause I'm a mark. They got me. So, you know, but it was, <laughs> it, was it was, it was cool.
0: And you can't really beat a solid, uh, pizza place
1: oh man yeah i'm just like i'm such a you know fanatic about it uh my friends text me anytime they have jets like dave like like anywhere anytime they're always got to let me know
0: yeah i've uh so i've never had jets before um but i live in chicago and i've never been oddly enough i've never been, been on got a style i like detroit style. they've got
1: a they've got a couple yeah yeah. They got a couple of Jess pizza in Chicago now. You got to try it. You got to Tell them I sent you. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, I guess uh, just to start out, uh, the main thing that, you know, kind of prompted me wanting to have you on the show is that I had picked up Terror War. Uh, so I'd been excited about it for the past year uh, since my friend Jay had told me about it. Um, and, uh, you know, he's inking it and. just like, yeah, I'm working on this cool project with uh, with Saladin Ahmed and Dave Acosta. um, And, you know, Heather Antos is editing it. It's just like all three of those things that he told me, I was just like, wow, I need to check this out when it comes out. And I knew nothing else about this book, like nothing about the story or anything. I just knew who was working on it. And uh, so I went to the panel that you all did at C2E2. And that was the first time that I really like had any idea what the book was about. And I was sold like as soon as I picked up the first issue a few weeks ago, uh, the immediately I was hit by like this combination of like kind of noir storytelling mixed with this 80s like neon vibe. Plus, like, Mm -hmm. you know, classic sort of like team up uh, comic book kind of thing where it feels like uh, maybe a little bit of like Ghostbusters meets X-Men, you know what I mean?
1: totally yeah you nailed it right there but uh yeah, yeah uh, thank you so much for picking it up i appreciate it it's uh, my first time doing a an image book so uh, you know you never know how it's going to land but it seems like uh, it's getting a lot of like, good reviews and stuff and people are reaching out and saying that they, they dig it so it's like uh incredible great feeling
0: yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely got a home on my like pull list every month now. Uh, so like I'm, awesome, I'm man. still just like stoked about the next issue coming out, um, because you know you cool. got that the first issue just kind of like builds that world, but then, as much as you think that the world's been built, you know, in that first issue, you get to the end of it, and you all introduce this idea of competing teams. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: that's kind of a lot. Uh, how saladin stories work very often is it introduces the world and then expands it when you're not expecting it you know because we play around with the genre you know tropes like you said like a noir or like you know an 80s you know kind of sci-fi thing so you have familiar familiarity already and you think you know it's where it's gonna go but then he'll just expand it in a way you didn't see coming and make something else you know up in it which uh is always exciting like super exciting to draw
0: yeah it's like every page as much as you think that you know what you're getting into every page gives you something unexpected and exciting like the first time that I flipped the page and saw like the big cartoonish frog terror I wasn't yeah. ready for it <laughs> and like I cracked up but at the same time it's just like it's so deceptively like over the top cute that that also makes it kind of terrifying
1: right yeah everyone has you know those things when they were kids that for some reason just like freaked them out you know and stuck with them so that's that's one example of you know as you know in the book it's people's fears made real and not only real but enormous you know so like it'll be your biggest fear fear the size of like a two-story building coming after you and in the case you mentioned this guy was afraid of a children's cartoon character and uh, it, was, it was an adorable frog. Uh, and the way I did it, I, it was on page uh, uh, page four, which if you're doing a comic, that's a page turn. So you get that surprise. So I made sure on page three, before you turn it, you see the silhouette of the character. And I, I, I made it an adorable frog with two giant cartoon eyes on the top. But if you look at the, Page three, before the turn, you see the silhouette, and it looks very much like uh, a famous mouse from a company that starts with a D. Uh, <laughs> his initials are MM. So I, I, I wanted to just subliminally give you the impression that this guy's being chased by Mickey Mouse, pretty much. And then you turn the page and you see what it really is. But that was just, that was, when I read the script, that was like a fun moment. I I knew it was going to be cool to get to.
0: Yeah. Especially in
1: such a dark book where, you know, I'm I'm over rendering so much, you know, so much graphic detail. And to get to a character that's cartoony like that is just kind of like a a little shock to the system.
0: Yeah. And before we get too far ahead of ourselves on that uh, part of things, uh, you know, basically the whole premise of the story is that, uh, you know, there's this dystopian future where, uh, I guess there's only like one city left that's still inhabitable. The rest of the landscape is just kind of full of these terrors and they take the form of whoever, you know, whatever the greatest fear of the person that they're uh, preying on is. And um, there are, you know, basically these groups of people who have, uh, telekinetic kind of brain abilities to you know fire uh brain energy at them to kill them they're the only people that can like harm these terrors
1: yeah brain bullets we call them in the book yeah (laughs) it does have like an x-men angle to it where they have people for whatever reason certain people have this frequency that they can connect and they can actually fight against these terrors
0: and yeah, when you and uh saladin were uh conceptualizing all of this what was that process like
1: um well um we had just wrapped up uh dragon which was a kickstarter graphic novel we did and uh i finished I it up you got and, that right here you know, oh awesome man very cool uh, so i finished that up and you know, we d- we just kept in touch a lot through, you know, text and occasional phone calls and stuff. But sending the last pages and we're sending it off to the printer. And it's just like, hey, man, this was so much fun. You know, we're texting each other like it's great working together. We got to find a project to do again sometime. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And uh, so it's just like, you know, at the end of high school, you're just like, all right, say goodbye. You know, let's, I'll see you when I see you. Uh, but then, about a week later, I got a call from Saladin. It's like, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, nothing yet. It's only been about a week," and uh, uh, which isn't true. I was already jumping onto another thing, but uh, uh, but he said, "I have this idea for a sci-fi thing. It's going to be creator-owned, and um, basically, that all I got was it's sci-fi. Um, it's going to have like." We're gonna do all because we're both like children of the VHS era, you know. So like all that sci-fi, all that horror stuff from the video store, that's where we bond. So he's just like this is gonna be just like all those 80s sci-fi we grew up on. I'm like awesome. He's like those 90s comics we grew up on, awesome. And uh, and they're just gonna fight these things called terrors that are people's nightmares. I go, Great. And he's like, that's it. <laughs> go, okay, well, you know, that's all I had to go on but I'm like what I'm in you know what I'm in so before I saw a, a script even I drew the cover for issue 1 just trying to like vibe out what I thought it was going to be like you know and uh yeah, he liked it it was cool with him so we go from there and then we did the preview pages and uh so it's kind of like I've been for the most part you know we would have broad discussions but i wouldn't see scripts until it was time to draw basically so we kind of fleshed it out as we went and we've got a very cool back and forth uh which i always love to have with a writer where he'll send me the script or whatever and then i'll i can find i'm very good at finding the leaks You know where you might need a little patch up a little tape here well if this is like this then this character might dress like this is this cool and i'll send a character design and he goes oh man that's awesome and then i'll see when i get the next batch of script pages the ideas that i came up with based on the initial script he's already adapted into the next pages like if I'm like, it'd be cool if this guy had an eye patch. Send it, and then like, late five pages later, you see a reason why he has the eye patch. You know, uh, I love that kind of dynamic collaboration rather than you get a script. Because I've had uh, relationships in the past where I get the email from an editor with the script, and I never even talk to the writer. You know, which is fine too. That's one way to do it. And you know, I've had a lot of success that way, but. I do love the back and forth where you're, you know, instant messaging or texting back and forth. It's like, oh man, what about this? What if you had a cyborg arm? Oh, great, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's been like a a, a living script as we go. And uh, and so that's kind of how we we broke the whole thing down. So he's got it in his head and we've discussed the, you know, the main bullet points but I don't necessarily know how we get from A to B to C to D. I just got to be ready to roll with whatever I get.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of Which like that old exciting uh, model too. method, right? A
1: little bit. Yeah. Not, not so much where I'm not doing the plotting, but, um, but I am contributing on top of his, cause even sometimes I will get bare bones scripts, you know, where it's like, all right, three pages, they fight. And then you know, <laughs> <what are> the <laughs> next one, but, but Saladin is cool because after I've done the penciling and he sees like maybe the reaction I give a character or whatever, he will, before the letterer gets it, he will do a a dialogue pass and he'll accentuate things or make the, you know, maybe I drew the wrong expression, God forbid, but he'll make it. Okay. (laughs) He'll make it work, you know, and before it gets to the letterer. So it's like, it's like rewriting at every stage, pretty much,
0: yeah. and I mean, one one of the things that I've uh, loved about his writing, uh, I think ever since I think it was amazing spider-man annual forty one or forty two was the first time that I'd read anything of his. And it was a mm-hmm. uh, symbiote Spider-Man story. And from that point on, like through that and then through like his run with Miles Morales and you know anything else of his that I've read, you know, dragon and so on, his pacing is phenomenal. Like just that sense of Mm -hmm. he's really good at building tension into a story from page to page. And um, a lot of that is also just kind of a testament to the artist that he's, you know, had the opportunity to work with too, but um, it's this, this really great sort of combination that you see when um, a writer and an artist who both have, just that, that really good understanding of how to pace things kind of come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's like, I think he's definitely great at that. And, um, he's great with the amount of trust he gives me to do the penciling and to hit the beats, you know, and to accentuate. Cause that's, that's all I'm doing is just accentuating what he's already given me, you know, just making it clap. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's, to me, that's the fun because, uh, a comic artist is different than just an illustrator you know you could spend all day trying to draw the right face and make it look great or whatever but the job is storytelling you know like you could render something great beautifully but if it looks like a mannequin and no expression or it doesn't add up like you say it doesn't build up you know you can't you have to build the tension you can't just have explosion 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 you know you got to just hit those beats.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, on the the art side of things too, you go from like the penciler is, you know, laying down the story there, but then, you know, that gets sent off to the inker who in some cases they, you know, add their own sort of flair to things. Um, like I've watched Jay ink before and, you know, just seeing the way that he adds uh, shading and sort of like smokiness to things. And then there's some artists that he works with where he'll fill in like entire details in the background of buildings and things like that. Uh, and then oh, yeah, the difference that even the colorist makes once you get to that stage. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Probably the, the best part about terror war is like I said, it was creator owned and uh, Saladin really just let me kind of pick the art team who I wanted to collaborate with because I've done you know, a lot of penciling and, and inking myself, but I've been friends with Jay Lyston for a long time. And I've just been dying to have an opportunity to work together and see, you know, what Jay with his enormous talent would bring to it. And so I'm just like, well, man, we gotta get Jay inking it. That's gonna be awesome. And then uh, the colorist, Walter Pereira, I he's done a lot of my Elvira stuff. And I just, I love the way he renders things and so, like, he's like, Yeah, get Walter, get Jay, get our letterer, Sean Lee, who's another good buddy of ours. Uh, and so it was like it's like uh planning a, a bank heist, you know, it's like we gotta get a driver, we gotta get a vault guy, you know, whatever. And so it's just to be able to pick the team uh was incredible. And the only person I didn't have a choice in was the editor, Heather Antos he uh Saladin had already uh hooked up with heather as far as uh editing this book and usually the editor would you know have a say in the team or whatever but uh and i never met heather but working with her has been incredible too just an invaluable part just keeping us on schedule keeping us motivated and you know getting those emails hey just a reminder we need some of those pages you know what's the status you know which is The hardest part for a freelancer to do, last thing you want to do is like, you know, like one, I'm late on my stuff. I can't. How am I going to like try to like tell Walter or somebody, hey, you know, we need those pages like, you know, we're all late. And so Heather somehow has this ability to manage all these this these different, you know, tornadoes, basically. And once she can read the tea leaves and get us all going.
0: Yeah, like I've never read a book that she's been involved in that wasn't just like top tier, you know, like every everything that's always on, you know, books that she's put in charge of feels like it just all comes together. uh, I don't know if perfectly is the right word, but I mean, it's 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 always, uh, you know, some of the the, some of the best Star Wars comics that I've read she was in charge of. Uh, Totally. Yeah, that's no accident. You
1: know, like, it's it's a miracle any comic gets made. So, like So much stuff can go wrong. Uh, and especially uh, helping us through the process at Image because, uh, you know, uh, they really go over everything with a fine-tooth comb. And uh, Heather's really good at helping us navigate, you know, because you just got to, we're responsible. We're the creators, you know. So we got to make sure everything's right, that every panel is, you know, character isn't miscolored or whatever or everything is spelled you know correctly stuff that the last stuff you want to think about like after I've drawn it I'm like I draw it what do you mean I got to go back and look at it like (laughs) but when you're you know when it's creator-owned it's like you have this whole other administrative job you got to do and I can't imagine doing that without Heather
0: yeah and uh, one other thing that stuck out to me a second ago uh, when you said Jay's last name that just, like, gave me this random uh sort of, like, stomach drop where uh, I think I've been saying his last name wrong for, like, the last 12 years, and he's never corrected me on it. <laughs> through, like, uh, through dozens of, like, shawarma lunches when I'm in Louisville. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it happens often. It happens so often in comics because you just <laughs> are reading names, you know? And I'll be, and Jay, and hey, maybe I've been saying it wrong all these years and Jay hasn't corrected me. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but uh, we, Jay and I are part of a a Skype group of creators that uh we have a chat going every day and we'll have a group call, you know, on and off throughout the day or whatever. And I'll be just, you know, and it's always funny because you go to talk to, you know, about this creator, like like Stuart Eminen and uh like I'll realize I've never said his name out loud I've only read it in the credits and interviews and stuff and so like I was talking to uh you know one of the guys on there I'm just like Stuart uh, Mo- Mon- <laughs> like, Eminem? yeah 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 I got yeah so that happens all the time don't feel bad I won't yeah, tell him though
0: i have the same thing with uh with gary conway where it's like he's one of my favorite spider man writers of all time but i never know for sure if it's supposed to be jerry or gary
1: yeah i guess i would say i would think jerry yeah but what do i know (laughs) (laughs) i'll run it through the skype group and i'll let you know okay
0: okay (laughs) so uh they say I told Jay that you were going to be on the show and he told me that one of the things that I have to ask you about is uh, your past uh, with like metal bands.
1: Oh yeah. They love to hear the stories, the metal stories. <laughs> Cause to comic guys, it sounds really cool to have been in a band like, Oh, Oh my God. You know, but we were just, you know, a nothing band, a local band, mostly rarely played out of town. But, that was the funny part is because we were just a local band but we put on shows like as if we were Kiss so we had like full costumes and makeup and like you know we would do like stage routines and stuff with because we had like a lot of we had two guitar players with harmonized guitars and stuff like Iron Maiden style and uh, and we just yeah we just went nuts with it so we had a, a local reputation but we didn't really do much with
0: it. Yeah, I mean that's half the fun of uh, of music, though, is just the theatrics and you know trying to get the the crowd into this image that you're trying to the show that you're trying to put on. For if them.
1: you're and if you're not that good, you can just uh, wear
0: costumes and dance around,
1: and you know it impresses just as much as musicianship. So that was one way to get around it. But yeah, it I'm, was cool. Sorry. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, it's uh, that's it's what I did in my twenties, basically. Years, you know,
1: yeah, he's terrible. Yeah, and he's yeah, had a whole career open being terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: <laughs> so we were called uh, we were called Wolf Bait, and uh, I used to wear my stage name was Sagittario, and I had a I had a quiver of arrows on stage, <laughs> and I had a uh, had makeup. My costume was like a, a black and silver thriller jacket that I cut the sleeves off of. <laughs> it was cool. And, and we played some some pretty dangerous places in Detroit. And uh, once in a while, I'd get stopped by the security at the bar with the arrows, you know, like making sure they didn't have tips. Yeah. I'd go, no,
0: man, it's just, just it's the stage arrows. Don't worry about it. Were you like the guitarist or the bassist yeah, or awesome. what?
1: I was, uh, yeah, a co-lead guitar player
0: nice the quiver thing would be perfect if you'd been the drummer because then you just keep all your drumsticks in there you know
1: that is a good idea yeah (laughs) but i would um at one point during the because we had a whole stage show where it was choreographed so at one point i would uh take one of the arrows out and then play my guitar with it like jimmy page (laughs) and his violin bow you know and you could throw it in the crowd
0: yeah, so um, back to Terra War. Uh, one of the things that stuck out to me about the designs of the team uh, who you've got on the banner behind you right now uh, is yeah. that they—you were talking about like the different archetypes for books—and you've got like the—they're um, designed in a way that both fits archetypes, but then also kind of pushes against them. And like the one character that sticks out the most to me is probably dr paz because he's kind of the way that like hank mccoy is uh where he's the brain right. of the team but he's also just like very large and imposing
1: mm-hmm. he's huge
0: and he's ripped but yeah. he's the medic he's not
1: the muscle <laughs> you know so that was yeah that was in the script and it was just i kind of knew exactly what i wanted to do with it you know when you get those kind of you need those contradictions because otherwise it's just boring. If it's, you know, big dumb guys, the muscle or whatever, our team, the muscle is Rosie. Who's the shortest, you know, just this little fireball like, and she's the grit. So I gave her and, uh, I gave her the biggest shoulder pads and I gave her lift lifts on her boots. So she's a little like about (laughs) three inches taller in her boots than out of, you know, And it's, like, stuff like that that Saladin gives me that allows me to find the hooks for the character, you know? So they all stick out. They all have a good silhouette, you know? Because when you think of any... That's the hardest part about a team book is you have to have good silhouettes of the characters, you know? Otherwise, if they have the same colors and everything, they'll just get, you know, mixed up, you know? Like, Shazam and Superman don't have good silhouettes, you know, they just kind of look like each other, you know, you get Batman in there with the ears and then you got something. The way that Salian was able to give me the emotional beats of the characters and their contradictions is what, you know, made it super easy to just do the character designs. Cause they're so essential and you have to have them right from the first issue, you know, cause they're going to be there. Like once they're established, they're established. You know, they're not going to do any brain transplants or anything later. Maybe, but I, you know, for now I got to make sure I get it right.
0: Yeah. Uh, when it, when it comes to that too, like uh, with the rival team that's introduced at the end of issue one, uh, did you put a lot of thought into designing that team in a way that um, they not necessarily mirrored uh muhammad's team but in a way that the different strengths of that team played to the strengths of muhammad's team
1: absolutely not (laughs) that was done (laughs) i designed that whole team on the page i didn't do any uh sketches or anything ahead of time because once you're cooking you know and it's going you got to turn in those pages you know Before you start the book, you have time to goof around and make sure. And the main cast is more important, obviously. So I did character sketches of Muhammad's team. And that they evolved as the sketches went on. And you kind of just found the groove. But when the enemy team shows up, you know, that's my first thought. It's like, shit, I got to come up with five more designs? (laughs) And they didn't really have their own character description. So I I didn't have the hook, you know, that... that you need you know or can help you design the character i don't really know who these characters really are they're just the bad guys so i just had to make them look bad (laughs) and um because you never know if you know if they could all explode you know three pages in so you don't want to spend too much time doing it but it's just you're pulling from everything you ever saw in your life so like the main guy, Paulo, kind of talks like a hillbilly. Uh, but for some reason, I just gave him a crazy anime mohawk. And then I go, what would be, what stands out? What's his silhouette? So I gave him this enormous rat tail that just comes up the back. It doesn't fit at all with, like, what do you think a hillbilly character? Or maybe it does. But uh, it's just, you're just pulling just for anything. And then there's another character, the pharmacist who has all these needles and stuff on his fingers that, you know, poke people with. I just gave him that, uh, I remember Mad Max had this weird, like, skirt in the front of his jeans, like in <laughs> <laughs> Road Warrior, and like, I'm like, perfect, put that in there, you know? So you, like, once you're expanding the universe and you're in the midst of the story, you just have to kind of rely on your instincts and be like, I need to do a whole other team. And this is it on the page. And I remember I actually inked the page where you see the enemy team, Paulo's team for the first time. Uh, and cause I told Jay, cause I go, I still don't know how these costumes are going to be. <laughs> so like, <I'm> gonna, <laughs> let me ink this one. And then that'll be the decision. And then I can draw them consistently from that first page. So the whole, you know, to issue two or whatever, as I'm drawing it, I'm still looking at that last splash page from issue one, trying to remember how their details go of their costumes or whatever. It's like an ultimate sin of the comic artist is to design on the page. But 80% of the stuff is done that way. You know, once you're in there grinding out pages, like you got to just hope for the best but that's why it's so great to have such a fluid collaboration with Saladin because if I just do some wild stuff that doesn't really make sense when he goes back and does the lettering pass of the dialogue he can make it make sense you know he can bring it together with with his vision uh so that's why it's good to have that trust and that that back and forth
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, with the character designs, one of the other things that stuck out to me was uh, the one dude on that team has a sword. And I'm like, how is this gonna, what's he gonna do with this? (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, Saladin did hit me with their weapons.
1: So I knew, you know, one guy's got a chain, one guy's got a sword, you know, because a lot of, he wanted to make a, big difference between like the terror war even though our characters are using guns it's not real bullets like real bullets real guns are are hard to come by in this world so it he just wanted to open it up weapons wise with a sword with a chain with the needles uh that everyone has a unique way to use their powers on these terrors and to me i look at it like Part of how I design stuff is I look at it like toys. Like, what would the toy look like? You know, what accessories would they have? You know, so it's got a, a badass sword, gotta have it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Cause a minute ago, you know, when you were describing the, you know, how would they look in a lineup with their silhouettes, uh, that made me think of something that Todd McFarlane told me one time about, um, you know, whenever you've got like a, a toy line coming out, you want them to have like a lot of variety in the height. Like, you don't want, You don't want like Chewbacca and Darth Vader to be the same size as Princess Leia.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I always think of one of my my favorite toy line is probably the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like Wave Three from like 91, where you've got like the pizza guy, like all these horrible looking toys that for some reason my parents bought me. Like they're all gross, but they're so unique. Like the it's just like the coolest designs. And I always think I'm trying to, when I'm doing characters, I'm trying to get into that headspace of like, what's going to look good on the back of a card where you get to see all the toy, you know, because yeah, when cause you the think of like, the like a Star leg. Wars toys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Into a pizza box. <laughs> it was awesome. I forget what was in there, but it was like the grossest stuff. And I, I'm just totally fascinated by that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah, because I think that was, like, um, was that around the time that they had, like, the snake guy, too? And they had him articulate where it was, like, the, the segments of him were all articulated? Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. And He had,
0: like, the kind of, I think it was, like, a cobra frill. It was, like, right near the yeah. end of that wave of, like, Ninja Turtles, uh, uh, you know, kind of hype.
1: Mm-hmm. Got, like, wing nut. Yeah. All kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So no, when I... I'm
1: designing characters, I'm I'm low key. I'm thinking about the the box, you know, the box art for them.
0: Yeah, you know, I I loved how like off the rails that that whole um, line went when I was a kid too, where they had like the Universal Monsters Turtles at one point, and uh, yes, and the Star Trek line. Yeah,
1: any kind of variation you could get on those four turtles, like the turtles were the
0: most boring part. Of yeah. The whole thing. yeah like with even with villains they eventually hit a point where they're like what other kind of animals can we do well what about dinosaurs yeah like well they're from dimension x so okay that's just yeah, like perfect. anytime you need a reason to have something weird it's just like well dimension x
1: <laughs> i think
0: uh
1: mutagen man was in that line too where he was just disgusting it was like eyes and like a digestive system in a tank of water yeah he's gross like these like you see the the sinews and muscles in the arms, like, but then so he gross. still had
0: briefs on Lumber. for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta gotta be modest. Yeah, even though he's just uh, a, a organ system or whatever in this this tank, you still can't just have everyone being able to see his colon. <laughs> yeah,
1: of course not. Gotta you know show some class. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, but that's what I, that's that's what I'm always going for. <laughs> that kind of variation. That you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, if you were to have uh, a terror appear, what would it be? Hmm.
1: I don't know. I don't really have. Too many, like, fears like that. I think, did you ask this at the panel? No. Somebody asked this at the panel. And Saladin said, well, as a father, you know, anything happening to my kids would be my biggest fear. And I'm, I, you know, I have three kids, too. So, and I'm like, yeah, that is the worst thing. But at the panel, you know, I just said, the scariest thing, I thought back to when I was a kid, and the scariest thing was alien abduction. Because there's no nine one one to call. There's no no one's gonna come get you. Yeah. (laughs) If aliens abduct you, they got you as long as they want you. That's it. You just give in. It's over. So alien abduction. I I mean I guess that's up there. Yeah. An old a good old fashioned haunting kind of that would suck too, right? Being trapped in a house that you owe, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on, find out it's haunted. That would suck.
0: You know, when I was uh, when I was a kid, uh, me and my mom and my sister lived in this trailer behind my grandparents house and their basement was like kind of weird because years before in like the 40s or 50s, this lady who had originally owned it, she was an older woman and she fell down the stairs in the basement and died. And when I was a kid, every now and then out of the corner of my eye, I would see this old lady walking across the yard and I would turn to look and there wouldn't be anyone there. And oh, uh, man. occasionally, at, like different times of the year, you could hear kind of like the sound that sounded like a scream, and then someone falling down the stairs. And I've never had any explanation for it at all. That's like, incredible. Yeah, because my grandparents heard it too, and like they acknowledged that they didn't know what it was. So it was, uh, wow. it was the whole thing. <laughs> oh man, that's messed up. <laughs> yeah, that's no.
1: messed up. I can't believe they acknowledged it instead of just being like, "No, I didn't hear it." what are you
0: talking about yeah they they tried to record it uh a few times and they never could get it to record right but like oh. we like my grandparents and and me and my uncle like all heard it man and my mom was are we all wife. crazy
1: <laughs> i promised my wife i said if anything happens like supernatural ghost i promise i'm not going to be like the dad in the horror movies that just says it's nothing forget it it's just settling you know like i'll believe you we'll get the sage we'll get the exorcist we'll do whatever we need to do i promise <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be james brolin in uh amityville
0: yeah i mean uh so you mentioned alien abductions too and like um back in 96 when independence day came out i was in like fourth grade. And the marketing for that movie, at one point, they did this whole thing that was like um, it was totally a ripoff of War of the Worlds where Fox took over like a, I think it was like a half an hour or an hour one Sunday night and just like played off this whole thing. Like these aliens were actually invading and there were these ships over like major cities. So I think most adults like knew what was going on but like as a mm. fourth grader who had no idea what what the whole like war of the worlds scare was it scared the shit out of me until i figured out that it was fake like 20 or 30 minutes in
1: i had no idea they did that that's yeah. wild
0: yeah it was just I on was, like, some uh, random weekend night
1: that's super cool <laughs> <laughs> cuz i used to back then they had shows like sightings did you ever see that show
0: um I think maybe, was back then I used to see shows just, like, in bits and pieces.
1: That was on, it was, like, a tabloid show where they would do, like, a couple different segments about supernatural stuff. And it was on before, like, X-Files every Friday night. So they'd be on at 8 and then X-Files is on at 9 or something. And that, I was addicted as a kid. I was just, like, I gotta keep up with this. I got to know where the Bigfoot is. You know, they had ghosts, aliens, you know, footage, all that stuff. I was obsessed with it.
0: I remember that show now uh, because I remember seeing that one weekend when it was the same weekend that um, one of the first documentaries trying to claim that the moon landing was fake came out. And they put it on Uh right after X-Files when it was on like a Friday or something. And then Sightings was also at Mm -hmm. the same time. But um it was, like, right around the time that people started trying to, like, push the idea that no one landed on the moon and it was all filmed in a studio. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. Yeah.
1: I was of the generation, I actually, um, I saw, because they had a little documentary about Blair Witch, uh, like, months before, maybe, you know, seemed like a year before the movie came out. Like, as a little pseudo-fake documentary, like you're talking about the Independence Day one. And I remember seeing that, like, because I watched all those these fightings and shows and stuff. I go, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" And then when I heard the movie is coming out, I was totally suckered. Just like, "Oh, that's that thing I heard about." Oh man, <laughs> see, this is all like free internet was in its baby form. You're just on your own, you know, just you and your buddies going. Like, did you see that shit? <laughs> So it was a different time, even though now you know everything's fake. Now <laughs> back yeah. then, not a, most things weren't. <laughs> so if you saw something phony like that, it was like very easy to believe.
0: Yeah, like in third or fourth grade in like ninety five, ninety six, seeing the alien autopsy just randomly on TV, and then yeah, telling your friends like, "Yo, they had an alien autopsy on TV."
1: <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that. I'm like this is the this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> I mean for the time the production value was pretty good too. Yeah, I forget why they
1: made it. Um I took a deep dive a year or two ago about the whole thing. Uh I think it was just to kind of show off the special effects <laughs> like what they what they could do and like a demo reel or something that just got out of hand.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, um, even I even that they saw... kind of spoofed in Independence Day with the uh, the first Independence Day movie they had uh, an alien autopsy scene and it looked almost right. like They just they were just going you know along with whatever the uh, the the alien autopsy like fake video was. Right.
1: There was a very cool video that I just saw recently, but was making the rounds all through like the eighties and nineties called the McPherson tape. Have you ever heard about this?
0: It sounds familiar.
1: It's like a found footage one that somebody made in like 87 or something like that. Or maybe earlier, but it didn't come out. It was like a... Yeah, maybe they filmed it like earlier. Uh, and it's about a family at Christmas and they're opening presents and then they start seeing lights and stuff on the outside and it's all filmed with a camcorder that somebody got from Christmas. And... Uh, then they follow it outside they see the aliens you know and it's like it's super cool super well done but the it became legendary because uh a distributor was putting it out and they sent out like uh review copies and demo copies to video stores all over the country but then they went out of business before they could ship the tapes so there was just like a hundred or so copies out there and no official one to buy or anything. So, like, people started taking these to UFO conventions and saying, look, I got, I got this crazy tape, you know? So it grew in legend. But now it's on streaming, of course. But it was cool. It was one of those that very well done.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that famous uh, Bigfoot film, too, where uh, yeah, got him, like, walking along a creek, supposedly. hmm <laughs> That one's wild.
1: That one's wild. Because there's, there's people that can, like, Say where the suit was rented from and everything, and like, because there's only like a couple guys had really good gorilla suits back then, you know. <laughs> like, but then it's just so, it's so weird to fake too. Like, it's yeah,
0: bizarre. I love it. Yeah, if there's like one hoax that you wish was true, what would it be? Mm. One
1: hoax, like, give me some examples.
0: Um. Bigfoot, I don't know. Uh, Chupacabra is a fun one. Uh, Chupacabra. The, the, the Bat Person or whatever it is, the, the Mothman. And then there was supposedly like Mothman. a bat person in Chicago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mothman would be cool. Hmm. I don't know. It's, let me think. There's the uh, Montauk Monster, those experiments. With like time travel and stuff, yeah. Um, hmm. this is a good question. It's a very good question. I'm gonna say man. because yeah. he predicts like disasters. He's interdimensional. There's like men in black that come afterwards. Lost time. It's kind of got everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what mine would be. Uh, just offhand but I would say probably Mothman is up there I've always liked the whole like Loch Ness thing and I guess there's a Lake Erie monster too supposedly oh Uh, really I think so is it like or is it Lake Huron like one of the Great Lakes supposedly has its own monster too and I think it's whichever one is the deepest one
1: yeah I'll have to check on that
0: yeah that sounds cool Yeah, because just the idea that there's like a a dinosaur that's lived down there for millions of years and no one has ever actually come into contact with it with, you know, substantial footage. Um, Right. That's kind of amusing to me when we actually still have like actual dinosaurs like alligators still just like roaming around. Totally. It seems kind of like plausible. Like it could be, man, (laughs) we just don't know. Ocean's so, so deep, we don't
1: know what's down there
0: yeah no like they the 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 giant squid that wash up every now and then are frightening
1: oh shit you know what i think i know what it is bermuda triangle yeah that's what i that's what i want to be real (laughs) yeah i want a vortex because that was all over like in the 80s too that was like huge they had all those time life books where it's like secrets of the bermuda triangle
0: Oh, and it's the plot of like a half a dozen Hanna-Barbera cartoons, too. Like Johnny Quest had a, a Bermuda Triangle episode. There's a yeah. weird Hanna-Barbera Godzilla cartoon that had a Bermuda Triangle episode.
1: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll go with the Bermuda Triangle because you could, you know, you could dip in and out, maybe. You could go check it out, you know. could be cool.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I... I had shown uh well here's the the first issue of terror war for anyone who wants to track it down uh but i you know mentioned dragon a minute ago um how did you and Saladin initially link up for that and um you know end up doing this um trying to think of the best way to describe it because i love the i just love the story of the whole thing because i'm a sucker for anything that's like dracula um you know, yeah. anything Dracula a, a shot but um, it's, it's like a really good spin on a Dracula story he pitched it to me like
1: you know a medieval Dracula story but from the point of view of the Ottoman Empire which is like so genius like I've seen a hundred thousand Dracula stories and I've never seen it from that angle because we know that Vlad the Impaler is famous for putting heads on, you know, pikes. And Saladin, you know, he's the one that told me just like a lot of those heads had turbans on them. Like the Ottomans were all up in uh, Vlad the Impaler's, you know, trade routes and everything. And they had this, you know, because Vlad and his brother were raised, uh, you know, in the Ottoman Empire. as like a trade to keep uh, Vlad's dad in line. Uh, So they're like, okay, well, we're going to take your two prince sons and uh, we're going to keep them here. And so uh, Saladin just had all these awesome historical angles that I hadn't really seen before and made me really interested in it. We started out, we did a pitch for a series back in 2015, back when Saladin was just getting into comics. And um, uh, it was a a sci-fi thing didn't get picked up but you know it was one of those things to get you finished you go all right man, we'll keep in touch you know and so we had kept in touch and had been looking for a project ever since then and finally in 2019, Saladin gave me the the pitch for dragon and I go, yeah totally I'm in and um I was just wrapping up my first 12 issue run of Elvira and uh Saladin had it all set up at a publisher. And uh, so I was just about to jump on it uh, in <laughs> in February of 2020, basically. <laughs> and so <laughs> I still, I did the first 30 pages, and suddenly the whole comics industry shut down. You know, we had this whole deal set up, and it was gonna come out later in the year, and then suddenly, well, actually, pencils down, nothing's coming out. We'd have no idea when. So I was like, ah, oh, shit, man. So. That was tabled briefly, but um, it was Saladin's idea since the, since all the publishers basically shut down, except for like the top tier stuff. Uh, his idea was, let's go to Kickstarter and see what we can do. And um, thank God people were really supportive and in the mood, you know, to help creators directly. And so uh, it, we just had a just a phenomenal run at Kickstarter with it and it allowed us to, you know, put in all the things we wanted to put in the book and to do it the way we want it done with the hardcover and the slip case and the you know, the spot black. That that was what prepared us for doing now working with image on Terror War is like a breeze because on Dragon. We were the publisher. We had to do everything. We had to get quotes from the printer and the shipping and the fulfillment people. You know, it was a wild. It was a ton of work. Uh but it was uh it was just very cool, very unique project. And um it was great to do it with somebody like Saladin, who's like, you know, so supportive and like, you know, when it did so well, we're just like uh we were just overjoyed and it's just like so great to have that kind of support, you know, from the fans and that kind of trust. So it makes you just want to work extra hard. That book was honestly a nightmare. I've never taken on something like that. Cause you can kind of see, cause we put so much, um, you know, uh, behind the scenes stuff in it too. Yeah. That you can see what the original pages look like with that kind of ink wash, which was like,
0: yeah, because I mean, I love uh, the gave supplemental a, stuff in the back.
1: It gave it a unique look, but I was, you know, it was like doing watercolors. I was doing grayscale watercolors before Chris, uh, the colorist, you know, added the actual colors to it. It was just a a crazy, insane way to render it. And, you know, I was cursing it about halfway through. I'm just like, oh, what, you know, because it added, you know, hours of work per page, but. I was just caught up in the moment and I wanted to, you know, make it look a certain way. And I think it really did fit the story. Uh, And uh, it was just, it was just cool to, to have that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, just the final product. uh, is just like phenomenal from, from the art style to um, the story itself, to all of those extra materials that are in the back. And then even just the, the hardcover uh, beneath the um, dust cover itself, just being like that blood red shade, it's all just it's all yeah. just uh, perfectly done and well thought out uh, for a project like that.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, it was it was nothing but love, and you know, we just and people were like, you know, you should do posters or whatever. It's like we didn't add any tiers to the Kickstarter. We just, every extra dollar we got, we put into the book, the printing, to make it the way, you know, the ultimate version. Cause it wasn't like, we're going to do this version. You get a soft cover and then if you pay more, you get the hard cover with the extra. We wanted everyone to get the best edition of the book and that's how we did it.
0: Yeah. I mean, even the, um, the different dracula designs i love because there's uh you know there's like a a big sort of like monstrous version of him there's the right version of him i think there's like a was the one kind of look for him kind of inspired by uh nosferatu too um which one there's like one design in there where it's got more of like the angular face, no hair, kind of like Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The more the, bat looking one. Totally. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh that was that was one could because by the end of the book, we kind of wanted it to be where the the usual Dracula lore that everyone knows, you know, it takes off from there. So it's kind of like a Dracula prequel. Uh but it was Saladin's idea to have his, you know, his monstrous form just be an absolute beast, like an animal. Like he wanted to not look, it, this is not a suave Dracula. This isn't a going to steal your girl Dracula. You know, this is just like pure evil, just an like a force of nature, like just disgusting. Like, and so I'm just like, I can do that. I can do monstrous. So like anytime, cause I, I'm always telling Sally, and I'm like, "Where's the monster? Where's the monster? Come on, let's go. Let's get through these story pages. I want to draw monsters. That's all I care about. So when you see the wolves attack, they're monstrous wolves, you know? Yeah, that's just that's what I love to do. So when he said, "There's the human Dracula, and then there's the monster Dracula," I'm like, "Can't wait! Can't wait! Counting the pages to get to him. So when I when he does finally, because for most of the book, you just see him." in shadows and smoky and stuff you don't get a clear picture until the very end and that's what i'm just like can't wait let's do it
0: yeah i know you're uh you're a horror guy in general so you know with this year there's been a lot of good horror movies that have that have come out so far um what have you Mm -hmm. seen this year that's really stood out to you
1: this year i'm still catching up with last year see uh my horror i have a self imposed horror window and it's i'm still in my head going through the video store and trying to see all the ones i couldn't see when i was a kid so my window is 1978 which is the first halloween movie to 1989 which is jason takes manhattan to yeah. me it's the the beginning and the end of the slasher era so usually Everything I'm watching is between there. And I usually, it's first time views. I'm just, because everything is on streaming now. So I'm just trying to like fill in the gaps and based on the cover usually. And if it's in that year, I'll watch it. But horror has become so huge uh, that it's incredible to see. And so I am still trying to catch up with last year. I saw Barbarian, I love that. Um, I saw Nope. I saw the black phone. Um, They were all super cool. I got to see the new Evil Dead because I'm a huge Evil Dead fan.
0: Oh, it's incredible!
1: Uh, Is it? Yeah, you'll. And then uh, Renfield. I got to see Renfield. You know. Yeah. But I saw I. You know I have three kids, so it's so hard to get out to the movies and see. So I usually don't see it until it pops up on a streaming, and even then, it take me like three nights to to watch it but uh i'm constantly streaming stuff while i'm working
0: yeah like, i saw i saw rent a few on. weeks ago and like i was shocked last night that it's already like available for purchase or rent on streaming
1: yeah yeah i'm yeah. just gonna have to buy it yeah
0: i don't know if i can wait yeah it was They after so i don't want to spoil anything but after seeing that movie the one thing that i really want now is like a a Bela Lugosi Dracula remake with Nicolas Cage. That like that movie sold. That would me be. On that. that would be incredible.
1: I would love <laughs> it. I would be there for that.
0: Like it's just him hamming it up as Dracula. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. The uh the new Evil Dead though um it has it has stuff that that is kind of you know a throwback of sorts to the classic evil dead but it's also still very much in the same vein as the remake from uh 2012 but mm-hmm. i've actually i'm kind of excited where they're going with it because i've um i was reading a bruce campbell interview a few weeks ago where he was talking about how the goal for sam Raimi now is like a producer of uh, of the franchise and i guess bruce campbell's a producer now too is for them to eventually yep. have that sort of remake uh line merge with like the the classic evil dead which is going to be kind of interesting to see because they're they're a little bit tonally different because the the current like the the remake for 2012 and then evil dead rise are a lot less kind of slapstick humor
1: yeah But I mean, the original three Evil Dead movies are all three different genres. Yeah, you know, and they they you know contradict each other and retcon stuff all the time. So, to as an Evil Dead fan, that's not the most important thing. Like, if you tell me they're in the same universe, I'll buy it.
0: Yeah, I was really bummed that Ash versus Evil Dead ended.
1: I know that was a cool show, and I always I often think how lucky we were to get three seasons of that it was totally nuts and it was exactly what you know think of how long they were trying to make evil dead four you know with bruce and uh it just never happened and then suddenly we have like three seasons with like 15 episodes
0: each like incredible yeah yeah and um I noticed that you saw the uh 40th anniversary re-release of Return of the Jedi. Uh so I had considered going to see that and didn't get a chance to, but the one thing that I was wondering was which version of Return of the Jedi was it?
1: It was I believe the it was the latest one.
0: Oh okay. Like I think
1: what I, when they did the the Disney 4K ones that came out? Yeah. Because um uh and there's not that much changed in it. I mean, there was like the the 1997 one with the stupid song at Jabba's Palace. Like, see, like I, I love Jedi shit. Rocks.
0: Jedi Rocks, I, I think, is uh, it's not it's not that much more ridiculous than uh than the original uh, Max Rebo band scene. It's just they added it is, the goofy singing.
1: It is so ridiculous <laughs>
0: because one. The CG
1: is bad, but whatever, I'll get over that. But the fact that the, the <laughs> characters' faces come right up to the camera, <laughs> like <laughs> like nowhere in Jedi, any Star Wars movie, nobody puts their face in the camera. Like it's so weird. Well, nobody so else weird. in
0: Star Wars but, is uh Cy Snoodles or um Joe Yauza, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: I mean All due respect to them, wonderful (laughs) musicians. But, uh, but the only way I knew it was like the Disney ones. I think is uh, when Vader yells no before he throws the Emperor in. I think that was something they did later for like the Blu-rays. That that wasn't in the ninety-seven re-release.
0: Yeah, because they because I was trying to episode three, I think.
1: Oh yeah, and they took the the uh, eyebrows off of anakin when he they take the helmet off
0: yeah now they've got uh, there's not much they've got what's his name now is uh, hayden christensen is the force ghost at the end
1: yeah yeah that's from the dvds too so that was all there
0: yeah it's um it's weird how many like little things they've added to those two that i noticed the first time i watched the any new version of it that comes out but then it all just kind of like blends together afterwards because um Empire and Jedi now both have more establishing shots than they did in the original version too, where it's just kind of transition screens.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I think they. Yeah, I hadn't hadn't noticed that. They show like the the actual like planet indoor in the background of like the the forest moon now too, and I don't think that was in the original like eighty three version. Like now you see more of the indoor system just kind of out in space.
1: Yeah. Because I never knew, like, is the forest moon called Endor? Or is it just called the forest moon of Endor? Like, what's Endor? Is that a planet or is that the moon?
0: So, like, Endor, I think Endor's the planet. And then the moon is just the forest moon of Endor. Okay. All right. Got it. And then there's some other planet in that system that they have in, like, episode nine that somehow the second Death Star crashed onto and didn't destroy and somehow Wicked and the other Ewoks yeah. were there too. Cause I guess they developed space travel for the Ewoks in like 30 years.
1: That one, <laughs> we saw that in the show. I, I took my wife and my son who's a big Star Wars fan we, and we saw it and we never talked about it again. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, just went right through us. And it was just like, it didn't happen. Like we just didn't even, nothing stuck. So, yeah. I've been thinking about rewatching that one.
0: So, just to be thing, like,
1: did that happen?
0: Yeah. My thing with the sequel trilogy is that, like, there's so much of it that they don't really take the time to explain to the audience that they just expect you to figure out on your own. Cause they basically, right. by the end of that um, trilogy, they essentially just adapted Dark Empire, but did it in a way that accounted for the fact that, like, all of the original um uh actors were too old to actually do dark empire directly so they like changed Mm -hmm. bits and pieces of it and they still had palpatine come back at the end on his clone planet but they changed the name of the planet and they waited until the very end to be like oh yeah palpatine is just hanging out here on this planet manipulating everything but um right my favorite thing about that trilogy though is that when the first one came out, uh, I have a coworker who's also a big Star Wars fan. And when it first came out, I told her, I guarantee you that by the end of this, they're going to reveal that Ray is a Palpatine. And she's like, no, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. They wouldn't do that. And they get to episode nine and Ray is a Palpatine.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you called
0: it. <laughs> like, it makes sense with the overall pattern of things. And like, even then... If you like read between the lines in the prequels, technically the Skywalkers from like Anakin on are kind of, it's implied that they're kind of Palpatines with that whole thing where Palpatine's right. manipulating chlorians to create life. He's basically explaining to right. Anakin how he's a virgin birth.
1: Right. Yeah. In the, opera, yeah, it's like a confession sort of. And I think in the, not, this is so nerdy, but I think in the novelization, they go farther into it. Yeah, that, that Palpatine was directly responsible.
0: Yeah, because in the in the but, novelization, I I had a friend in high school who had it because he was like super invested in like the entire expanded universe, uh, and he mm-hmm. had the novelization a few weeks before the movie actually came out, and he was like, "Yeah, Palpatine's basically Anakin's dad," and I was like, "Wow, I, I guess that kind of <laughs> makes sense, but okay," um, uh, but I I kind of want to try to track him down to catch up with him because i have to imagine that he was crushed when disney bought lucasfilm and erased like the vast majority of expanded universe stuff even though they've re right. a whole lot of it like he was he read every single like novel and comic and everything that came out in star wars and was just like super invested in it right but
1: i'm not surprised that they they ditched it because if you're going to get directors and writers involved they want to do it their way and they don't want to have all this canon you know all these books and stuff they got to read yeah (laughs) i just forget it you know (laughs) yeah but i'm so i'm thankful for any star wars because i grew up you know between 85 and 95 there was nothing star wars there was no star wars like I'm buying bootleg copies of the holiday special out of a newspaper ad, you know, like that's it. like, it's as good as it was going to get. So it's like anything after that, you know, whatever, I'm fine. Yeah. It's crazy oh, yeah. that it's just dominated, you know, the culture so much when I grew up and it was just like the nerdiest thing you could possibly be into. Maybe Dr. Who was nerdier. So Star Wars and then Dr. Who, but at least they were making Dr. Who's <laughs> yeah. Star Wars. It was just, One day, the the faucet was just off. It's like, oh, the droids cartoon went off the air. It's like, we got nothing.
0: You know, I I remember being in, like, the Star Wars Insider, like, fan club and getting the magazine every month when I was in, like, 96. And, like, that was the first
1: sign of life. We started getting the tops trading cards with all the cool artwork and stuff on them. And then Star Wars Insider, it's like, oh, my God, a magazine. This is incredible. And it had, like, Boba Fett comics in it.
0: yeah they did uh, shadows was, of the empire like in 96 and it was yeah. a big kind of multimedia experiment to kind of test the waters for more star wars movies
1: yeah new toys and stuff that was like unbelievable yeah as a fan that was very cool because it was just it was dead for for so long felt yeah. like forever but it was only <laughs> only like 10 years
0: Oh, yeah. No, if you told like 10 year old me in 96 that, you know, in uh, 20 years or or whatever, that there would be, you know, two more Star Wars trilogies, a bunch of like ancillary movies and TV shows. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, that you would have like 30 something Marvel movies and 15, you know, plus uh, streaming series. My mind would have been blown. like You're lying.
1: Yeah, it's wild. It's like what I'm over here watching the the '87 Thanksgiving parade, just trying to get a glimpse of some <laughs> dummy dressed as Captain America. Oh my god, that's so cool! <laughs> watching the trial of the Incredible Hulk because Thor is in this one.
0: Yeah, now um, I think it'd be. Uh... I mean, you know, time will tell, but I think it'd be pretty cool to see like a, a terror war like series or something at some point too. Just from just from the premise that's presented in that first issue, like I can, I like to to just like imagine that like that's a possibility down the road because I do really love the the story that you all have set up, and um, it's kind of like for a sci-fi story it pushes all the right buttons in the same way that something like Tim Seeley's hack slash does for like slasher kind of stuff, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. It certainly wasn't designed with that in mind. Uh, I'm like, I try to make it, I try to make everything I do as comic booky as possible. Yeah. You know, cause there are so many things that come across that as just a pitch for a TV show. You know, and like, oh, well, we'll, and that was very big about 10 years ago where I would get people trying to pay me to draw their scripts, basically their screenplays. Uh, But so everything I try to do, I'm like, what's the most comic book way to do this? Like, I don't want it to look like, you know, the ultimates where everything's, uh, you know, looks like a widescreen movie, every panel, you know. But that said, there is already maybe some interest about it uh you know some multimedia stuff for terror war but it's so far away from anything like that but but it, it is a possibility you know i think it could very easily translate to a, a live action thing or even an animation like if they did an anime of it yeah that'd be cool too but uh because it's you know it's about the the storytelling and about the characters, you know, and once you get that kind of solid foundation, I mean, you can, you could tell all kinds of stories with it.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I've had you for uh, over an hour now, and I don't want to take up too much of your night, but uh, we should do this again sometime.
1: Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thanks again for taking the time. Uh, is there anything else that you want to get out there before we wrap up?
1: Uh, yeah. Terror War number two is coming out. Uh, May twenty fourth, uh, Image Comics, and then um, and then other than that, I'm doing covers for Elvira's uh, new book, Elvira in Monsterland, which uh, I think I just finished up the last cover for that today, actually.
0: Yeah, I think um, which is always the super with fun.
1: The yeah, yeah, for that's for issue three. That was cool because you know I've been a huge Elvira fan, you know, since I was a kid. And so, being able to uh, draw our comics, and then now that I'm doing my own stuff, they still let me do the covers, which is super cool, you know, so I still got a foot in that, yeah, but yeah, look out for those
0: yeah well, uh thanks again uh for taking the time tonight, and uh, I'll catch you at a convention sometime soon. uh you know, if we don't do this again before then, all right, sounds good. Good talking to you, man. My you